Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Light Church, it is under 70 degrees, so I feel like it's the obligatory beanie weather. Um, so I'm just so excited that the season's changing and it's fall, and I'm really excited for this series. Um, as I've been praying about it, coming out of uh, my paternity leave and entering into this, I'm like, man, there's nothing I think that our church needs more than a conversation about how do we live life empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I think that um, if I'm more aware of myself and then how I would be hearing this without having all of now the educating that I've had and the experiences that I've had, um, I'd be coming with hesitation. Um, I remember when I was young growing up, I grew up in a church that just didn't ever talk about the Holy Spirit. Right? It was Father, Son, and Holy Bible. And, um, and then I walked away from the church, came back to the church, and then engaged in a church that actually had a really healthy relationship with the Holy Spirit, where there was actually a belief that God wants to move and do stuff today, but it wasn't weird. It wasn't something that I needed, I was really off-put by. It wasn't something that made me kind of cringe, which I know for many of us, that's the experience that we have. And so today we want to talk about what it looks like to be empowered as we witness. And I think a lot of times when we talk about being empowered and living life in the Spirit, that pushes people away. They kind of get nervous about that. But how do we live life naturally supernatural? How do we live our everyday, ordinary lives empowered by the Holy Spirit in such a way that wherever we go, whatever we do, however we live, we're living in a way in tune with the Spirit of God, what He wants to do, close to God's heart, so we know in every situation, every experience, this is what God wants and we can just engage. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And, and I was reading about this, um, this evangelist, his name is Billy. And um, he had his first time going out to Great Britain, just learning how to evangelize. And he met with this guy named Stephen Olford. And Stephen Olford was preaching that night and preaching the Holy Spirit. Um, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and this Billy guy went up to Stephen afterwards and was like, why didn't you give a call? I would have came forward because it was just so good. And so he was, he was looking for more of the Holy Spirit. He said, I was seeking for more of God in my life. I felt that here was a man who could help me. He had a dynamic, a thrill, an exhilaration that, that I wanted to capture. So this Billy guy visited Great Britain a second time just that same year, and these two men kind of set up a hangout between him and Olford. And, and so this Billy guy preached a message, and in Olford's language, it was ordinary and not like the Welsh kind of preaching. Um, at that end of the sermon, Billy gave an invitation, but uh, Olford said the response was not particularly great. I mean, what a just dud of a sermon. The next day, the two men met together. They talked ministry, and they talked the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and then they spent the second half of the day worshiping and praying. Billy expressed his deep desire in his heart to serve God to the full and to completely be given over to him. Olford said this, all heaven broke loose in that dreary little room. It was like Jacob lying hold of God, crying, Lord, I will not let you go until you bless me. Billy explained, my heart is so flooded with the Holy Spirit. He continued to say, I have it. I'm filled. This will be the turning point of my life. That night, Billy preached, and before he could even get to the end of his message to give a time of response and to call people forward, people were already rushing down the aisles. Olford said, the Welshman listeners jammed the aisles. It was chaos. Practically, the entire audience came rushing forward. 
Now this Billy is actually the famous Billy Graham, the one that we all know of, who's the great evangelist. And this was the turning point of his life. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham said this, everyone is hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected, and they often have recurring defeat in their lives. Christians today are hungry for spiritual fulfillment. The most desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, before we get into the, anything else, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, being empowered by the Holy Spirit to witness, right, to, to be missional, um, I like this phrase that my mentor, Bill Doctrum, says. He says, right button, wrong hole. Like I think of if I'm buttoning up my jacket. And you could start with the right button, but if you start in the wrong hole, the ending place is all wrong. I think it's a silly example, but I love it. It just makes sense of this because we oftentimes get into the conversations around the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, we start talking about power. and We start talking about he's going to empower you to do this. And it's all about Holy Spirit comes to go do. And I think that that's the right button. Yes, absolutely, the Holy Spirit empowers us in a mission, but I think it's the wrong starting point. See, Benji talked about this a few weeks ago, but we need to start with the fact the Holy Spirit is a person. Gordon Fee, who wrote a thousand pages, he's a leading theologian on the Holy Spirit, says, and he just sums it up like this, the Holy Spirit is in three words, God's empowering presence. God's empowering presence. That means that the Holy Spirit is the relational, present, proximate, intimate, close to you, in you, relationship with God. And so we need to start from that standpoint. Guys, my entire relationship with God was shifted when I began to notice that God is personal, that he is a person, and that he's relational. And if we were to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person, not simply a power, not a force, not like, you know, if you remember Dragon Ball Z and you go Super Saiyan, or, or, or the Holy Spirit isn't like steroids or pre-workout for the Christian before you go do like heavy lifting. The Holy Spirit is a person that we walk with. Paul talks about keeping step with the Spirit. As we walk with the Holy Spirit, as we're close to the heartbeat of God, as we're close to the mind of God, as we're in relationship with God, we then engage the world differently. Not trying to coerce, not trying to force, not trying to impose power on people, but to invite into a relationship. When we see God as relational, we pray differently. We pray because we're talking to someone who loves us. We don't just pray to a wall. We don't pray to a dictator. We don't pray to a distant God. We pray to a relational, close God. A.W. Tozer says, Is it not true that for most of us who call ourselves Christians, there is no real experience? We have substituted, theolog we have substituted theological ideas for an arresting encounter. We are full of religious notions. But our great weakness is that our hearts, there is no one there. Whatever else it embraces, true Christian experience must always include a genuine encounter with God, an encounter with the person of the Holy Spirit. He is proximate to us and close to us, which means that we can ask him and he wants to come alongside us. I was thinking about how um, we just had our son and so I had to buy a uh, dresser. And I bought this massive dresser, and thankfully I was able to get it out of our car. But my wife, at this point, is eight months pregnant. Like, she can't help me. We have three different flights of stairs to get up to, our, to where his room is. And, I, and this is a silly example, but if I was in that situation, like, I, I could, you know, there's no way that I can just turn on a power button and just get, like, super strong and lift it up. You know, and, and Brandon, who is on our staff, leads worship, like, he's buff, right? 
And I, I could in that moment just say, I'm going to manifest Brandon, you know, and I'm just going to become like this beefed out strong guy. And I'm just going to manifest it and just ask for the power to come. But that's not how it works. I need to call someone who has strength to come alongside me so that we can lift this up. See, that's what the Holy Spirit is. He's a relationship that we invite to come alongside. We don't just get filled with the power and then do. Holy Spirit comes because he is a relationship who is with us. And so this changes what we do when we have this encounter with a living God. And so before we can have an empowered witness, I think that what we also need to do is we need to have an untwisting. And what I mean by that is we oftentimes are twisted inward on ourselves, right? We're looking in at ourselves. And so we need to have an untwisting so that we can actually have an overflow of generous outward love towards others. This is the work of the Spirit. When we love God, when we are overflowing with love for the Father, then we overflow with love for others. But oftentimes we're more in love with ourselves. Michael Reeves, in his book, Delighting in the Trinity, he says this, we need to have uh, an untwisting in me. Naturally, I am bent in on myself, and I take a hellish delight in my own supposed independence. But if I am to be anything like the outgoing and outward-looking Father, Son, and Spirit, the Spirit must take my eyes off of myself, which he does by winning me to Christ. So we need to take our eyes off ourselves and focus our eyes on God. And this really gets into what are we witnessing about? See, when we are witnessing, oftentimes um, people will look at our lives. They'll look at the church and, and honestly, sometimes I don't blame them. Well, they'll say, that doesn't look like good news. That, that looks like there's actually just more hatred. That looks like there's more division. That looks like the love of Christ is not compelling you. And, and if that's what we're expressing, if that's what we're declaring and living out, it would make sense why people would say, I don't want to be a part of that. But the, if we are fully in love with God, if our eyes are on him, if we are embraced into this Trinitarian loving community, which is when we're saved, we're brought into this Trinitarian loving community where for all of eternity there was community, there was love, there was relationship, that there was a dynamic of joy. We're brought into that. And so then we get to witness to that reality. So we need to have this untwisting where we stop focusing on ourselves, we stop trying to utilize power, and we just begin to be fully in love with God. Are we witnessing actually good news? Do we have an empowered witness? So what are the alternatives to an empowered witness? Well, I think one is you being empowered with no witness. And if you're empowered with no witness, meaning the Holy Spirit has come and, and you just have all of these things, you're flowing with, with the presence of God, but you're not going out and sharing it, you are like a burning candle. Burning on one end where eventually you're just going to burn out because there always needs to be an outflowing. John 7, 37 through 39 says this, On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within you. By this he means that the, the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. The rivers of living water will flow from you. There's this outward expression. 
And we get this, without an outward expression, our love dies. I, I performed a wedding yesterday, and I'm standing up there, and as I'm talking to them, you know, they're standing up there because they're de dedicating their lives to each other, but there has to be the reminder that, hey, if 10 years down the road, 20 years down the road, you're not still extending love. You're not still serving. You're not still submitting. You're not still giving of yourself to one another. Your marriage will die. And it's the same. Remember, if the Holy Spirit is relational, then if we are not extending as well as receiving, our relationship will die. I think many of us have a dead relationship with God because we're not activated, we're not extending and overflowing the love of the Spirit to others. But what happens when we have witness with no power? I think that you can be a good philanthropist. There are many people who are non-believers that do incredible things for the world because we're made in God's image. We want to bring goodness. But without the Spirit of God with them, we're just doing good deeds. Or we can be coercive and trying to manipulate people into something. But when we have the Spirit of God, we are so empowered for witness. John Stott says this, What we need is not more learning, not more eloquence, not more persuasion, not more organization, but more power from the Holy Spirit. And then Simon Ponzibi, in his book, More, says this, We're filled with power. The Greek word for power is dunamis, from which we have derived words like dynamite, dynamo, and dynamic. Christians who are filled with the Holy Spirit will be explosive. They will make a noise and have an impact. Their words, lives, and presence will change things. It is the fullness of that power that Paul wants us to enter into. Paul declares that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power in 1 Corinthians 4.20. Sadly, however, we often seem all talk and no power, impotent, academic, and anemic. We have placed God in a box. We have domesticated God and rarely want him to disturb us. But the scripture reveals a God who's all power, who breaks our boxes, shatters our bonds, shakes whole rooms, and turns the world upside down and right side up. This Holy Spirit was always the mark of men and women of God in scripture. So when we are trying to witness or when we're trying to do good things without the power of the Spirit, we're just not explosive. We're not walking in, in the dynamic that God has for us in step with His Spirit. And, and the true thing is, is it's not just for the sideshow of signs and wonders. If you've ever had to forgive someone, you understand that that is an incredibly difficult thing to do without the power of the Holy Spirit. When you've ever had to have peace in the midst of, of incredible turbulence, you realize how difficult that is outside the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. This is what we're called to do when we keep in step with, we are empowered to be like Jesus, to walk in the Spirit, to become different, not just philanthropists that do good things, that's awesome, but to do incredible things in the power of the Holy Spirit. So what does it mean to witness? Empowered witness, right? We just talked about being empowered, but what does it mean to witness? To be missional. Because we are created to be a missional presence as we pay attention to the ordinary life around us wherever we find ourselves. God wants to minister through us every day, everywhere. So mission or missional is simply stepping into God's redemptive, loving, and generous action towards his creation. It is the intentional pursuit of justice where there's injustice, healing where there is brokenness, forgiveness where there is sin and wrongdoing, reconciliation where there is divide and separation. It is an inviting people into the way of Jesus, which will lead to salvation and lead to wholeness. Missional 
is proclaiming the kingdom and demonstrating the kingdom. It is important that we embody love as we do this. See, the thing is, we need to have eyes to see the spaces where there's brokenness, where there's a need for restoration, where there's a need for healing, where there's a need for love, and we need to then demonstrate and incarnate that love. This is what it means to be missional. It's about God's kingdom in breaking everywhere that we go. Without mission or without witness, the church is dead. The mission is the proclaiming of the kingdom of God and demonstrating the kingdom of God. This was always how it went. There was a declaration of the kingdom and a demonstration of the kingdom. The church grew because people were missional. See, the church gathers not for the sake of warm fuzzies and worship sets. It gathers for the sake of equipping the church, equipping you and me to fulfill Christ's mission into the world. We are to be emboldened, empowered, and ultimately sent by God to be his mission as we go. We are sent ones. If we are in the family of Christ, we are sent ones, and we're invited to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're saying is, God, would you empower us to be a part of your kingdom-like world, invading in earth now. We're engaging in Jesus' ministry. So if we're in God's family, we are all sent ones. If you guys want to turn to the book of Acts, now we're going to dive into what it looks like as we're sent. Like, what, what does it mean to be empowered on witness? And I think it starts by we incarnating God's love. So Acts 1, we're going to go 1-1 one, one, and then 4-8. through eight. This is Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke, and this is his second book the Acts of the Apostles, and he says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all Jesus began to do and teach. Now pause there. He's saying this because Jesus began the ministry, but the church continues the ministry. So it all goes back to this is our mission, to continue the ministry of Jesus. And then verse four, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Which would have been a common question for them. But I love how Jesus answers. In verse 7, he says to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates that my Father has set by his own authority. Earlier, Jesus says, I don't even know the time and date. In verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, which we'll hit on at the very end of this message. But what I love about Jesus' response here is they're asking about, when are you going to bring the kingdom of God? When, when, are you, when is the kingdom going to come in fullness? And his response isn't to say, oh, yeah, in like 2023. Um, his response is to say, oh, the Holy Spirit's coming. What he's saying is if you look back at the ministry of Jesus through all of the book of Luke and all of the other Gospels, Jesus came and everything he did was in the power of the Holy Spirit. He brought the kingdom by the power of the Holy Spirit. So their question he was actually answering. When they're saying, when are you going to bring the kingdom? He says, it's coming. The Holy Spirit, you got to wait. So the kingdom coming is synonymous with the Holy Spirit coming. We cannot be bringers of God's kingdom unless we are filled with his presence. We must be empowered in order to witness. So Jesus sends us his empowering presence in the Holy Spirit to engage the world missionally. This means that we need to be incarnational. Luke 4, 1 through 2, and then 14 through 19, says this about Jesus. It says, Jesus, 
full of the Holy Spirit. Right, this is right after he was baptized. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove, and then it says he's full of the Holy Spirit. He left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where he was there for 40 days, and he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end, he was hungry. Go to verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is like, he didn't start his ministry until he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 61, was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written. It says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying, as he opens up the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which was pointing forward to his ministry to come, and it says he's anointing me, which is the Old Testament way of saying the Holy Spirit was going to come on him. He says that my job description is this type of kingdom, releasing prisoners, good news to the poor, sight for the blind, the oppressed free. It was mission. God's kingdom breaking forward because the Spirit of God was on him. John 20, 19 through 23. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands. His disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. As the Father has sent me. So if you go back when he says his job description is to proclaim good news, freedom from the prisoners, sight from the blind, oppressed, being set free, the year of the Lord's favor, which is the kingdom of God. He's saying in the same way I'm sent, in the power of the Holy Spirit to do these things, I'm sending you. In the same way that I'm going to declare the kingdom, I'm going to demonstrate the kingdom, I'm sending you. In the same way the Father sent me to do these things, the book of Acts says the church then began to do these things. This is our job description. And he says he breathed on them, verse 22. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. It was incarnational. See, Jesus coming as God in flesh incarnating was mission. Jesus came. He says, if you've seen the Father... Or if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Meaning he's saying, I came to reveal God's heart, to be his presence among you. And then he sends us. And so we, as we incarnate, as we live out the mission of God, we are incarnating God's presence in the same way. Jesus was the mission of God, the incarnation, the presence, the proximity of God with his people. Then he fills us with his spirit and says, you are that as well. So if we want to be empowered witnesses, we must incarnate the love of God. It's always about us extending the mission and ministry of Jesus out into the world in the same way that he did incarnationally. We have to embody the love of God. We have to embody the forgiveness of God. We have to embody the healing of God. We have to embody the good news. This is what it means to be empowered witnesses, to walk as incarnational witnesses to who God is, his presence. And the next thing is, is we need to be naturally supernatural. Meaning, we need to live our lives every day 
thinking, how do I live empowered by the Holy Spirit? Dallas Willard says about witnessing, because I, I, you're probably like a little bit like me, a little bit nervous when it comes to talking about how do I share my faith? How do I be a missional person? How do I witness? Dallas Willard says witnessing has turned into a kind of process of bothering people. So very few people witness because of that. And if you're like me, I don't want to be weird. I don't want to be the guy who walks in and just says, have you heard about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Like, I don't want to be the weird one that people are like, I don't want to hang out with you because it's kind of like an MLM scheme. You're just trying to, you know, co coerce my relationship to get me in because there's like more jewels in your crown or something like that. But again, if we step back and we realize we're not trying to get someone into a club, we're not trying to just pour out power, we're inviting them into a relationship with God. It's actually good news. It changes everything. I think so many of us, if we're honest, the conversation isn't me having to tell you don't be weird. Because the reality is, is because of our culture, we, we've kind of just leaned more into this idea of I don't want to... I don't want to push this. I don't want to force this on anyone. So we've, we've actually just tried to survive culture rather than engage culture. I, I don't think the issue is us being weird. I don't think the issue is us going out and, and, and saying things on the, on the street corners. Though there are some of those people, I don't think that's very many of us. But I think that what I do need to encourage us into is I think we need to be more bold. Every time throughout the book of Acts, you saw the Holy Spirit came on them. They proclaimed with boldness. Now, again, that's what I'm saying. We need to be naturally supernatural. Again, I think so many of us are just trying to survive culture. We hide and we hunker away because we say, hey, it's scary out there. I'm a believer. I believe in these things. Yes, I have these convictions and the world doesn't agree. And so it's scary. And so I'm just it's pressing against my beliefs. Therefore, I'm going to hide and I'm going to just fully, I'm just going to fully like hunker away. Or we lean into the other side of things where we just fully embrace and compromise our theology and lifestyle. And we look indistinguishable from the world. And we have to ask, where is our witness? See, comfortable, comfortable culture creates comfortable Christians, powerless Christians. I think that in this time where, where maybe we don't see eye to eye with culture, I think that this isn't our time to survive culture and to get away from culture and, and to escape culture. I think this is our time to engage culture, not in a way that that's forceful or coercive, but relational and beautiful and natural and not weird. I don't think we need to go and be kooks. I think we need to live our ordinary lives with the extraordinary power of the Holy Spirit living through us. This is our time to shine. We need to show Encinitas, we need to show San Diego what Jesus is like. This is what we're, we incarnate Jesus. And so when we walk around, who was Jesus? Well, he was absolutely full of love. Jesus was, was full of grace. He was full of peace. He was full of joy. He saw people and he, and he reached out to them. He saw where there was a need and he met it. And when someone was hurting, he met them in their pain. When someone was rejoicing, he met them in their joy. This is how we live incarnationally witnessing to the world. We don't need to be weird. We can be naturally supernatural. See, we can't escape or hide or just lob comments behind the security and smokescreen of Instagram. We need people whose lives, I need my life to show the world a resurrected Jesus. So much so... That if someone were to look at my life, I want them to see, man, I can't deny the fact that God is alive in them. That's what it means to witness, to be bold, to be filled with the Spirit, and to live. That is a supernatural thing. We don't actually become extraordinary. We are very ordinary. If you look throughout the Gospels and the book of Acts, 
ordinary people who do extraordinary things in the commonalities of their life because the Holy Spirit is on them. We should hunger for the possibility, for the opportunities to put the love of Jesus on display wherever we go. We need to learn how to operate in the power of the Spirit in everyday ordinary moments, not just for the sake of our own life, but for the sake of everyone else's life around us. So when we ask, God, would your kingdom come and your will be done, this is what we're asking. Would you send me into my place of work? Would you send me into my family? Would you send me into my neighborhood? Because we want to be people who are empowered to live as light into the world, to to continue what Jesus did, his way of life, his kingdom, his culture, wherever we go, as we go, every day, everywhere, to everyone. This is our desire in partnership with the Holy Spirit. John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement, and as beautifully writes this, talking about listening to God's voice, but living this naturally supernatural life. He says, when I speak of listening to God's voice, I mean developing a practice of communion with the Father in which we are constantly asking, Lord, what do you want to do now? How do you want to use me? How should I pray? Whom do you want me to evangelize? Is there somebody you want me to heal? Sometimes he gives me a specific insight about people for whom I'm praying. These come as impressions, specific words, pictures in my mind's eye, physical sensations in my body that correspond with the problems in their body. These impressions help me know who and what to pray for and how to pray. See, he just walks into the room and he just says, God, what are you up to? Is there something you want me to do? Is there someone you want me to pray for? What would it look like if we walked into our work and just said, God, what do you want to do here? When we see someone and maybe we have an impression, maybe there's a tug on our heart, maybe they just need to hear the good news of God's love for them, or maybe they just need a hug, maybe they just need encouragement, maybe they do need prayer for healing, maybe God has given you an insight or a picture in your mind's eye that he wants you to extend. This is what it looks like to live just everyday life filled with the Spirit of God. This is discipleship to Jesus. I love how he said that, developing a practice of communion with the Father. It's about relational communion with the Father at all times, and that's how we go. That's what it means to be empowered. What is God stirring? How do we listen to his voice? How does he want me to pray? And then just being obedient to that. How do we keep God at the forefront of our minds 24-7 to say, God, I want intimacy with you, and I want your kingdom to come. What would you have me do here? So this is the final point. To be an empowered witness is to ask the question, God, what's in your heart? What's in your heart? John 5, 16 through 19 says when Jesus, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, he was healing people, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said, my father is always working. To this very day, I am too working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him, not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he's even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. But then he says this, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer, Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son does. See, that's the reality that we need to walk in with. The father's always working. When we walk into a room, we aren't producing the heart of God. We just need to ask and sense the heart of God. We're not trying to manifest God's heart in a space. We're trying to walk in and say, God, your heart's here. What do you want to do? You're always working. And then as Jesus said, I only do what my Father is doing. We need to do the same thing. God, what are you up to? 
See, I think sometimes we walk into a room and we try to like hype ourselves up. All right, God, I'm going to do some crazy stuff right now. It's like, it's not like that. God's working. We just ask God, what are you doing and can I partner? You walk into the coffee shop and God, what are you doing? I want to bless this person. How do I partner? Oh, okay, I'm going to pay for their coffee. It's, It's simple things like that or it could be extraordinary things. And my favorite example of this is Philip in the book of Acts. And I, I, for the sake of not going through all of it, but in, in Acts 6, 1 through 7, there's a problem because the church is coming together and now it's multi-ethnic and it's multi-generational. It's this beautiful thing where there are Hellenistic Jews or Greek Jews and there are Hebraic Jews that are now followers of Jesus. They're Messianic. And, and, and so what was happening is that the Hellenistic Jews their widows who were supposed to be taken care of were being overlooked. And so the apostles said, we need to figure this out. And so it says this in in verse 3, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. So this, they're, they're like, we need to find people who they can do this. But he says, we're going to find people who are full of the Holy Spirit. Apparently, there are discernible characteristics that are on a person that you can tell they're full of the Holy Spirit. And so they said, we're just going to find people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom, and we're going to send them to take care of these nagging widows. Like, they're going to be the lunch ladies for these widows. I mean, it's not like the most glorious job. It says, this pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. That's my boy. But also Philip, Prochorius, and then it continues on. And then verse 7. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, which is just Luke's way of saying there was witness. And so Philip is just this guy. He's not one of the apostles. He doesn't say that he has like a prereq in, in serving lunches, but he's just full of the Holy Spirit. And he got asked to go serve lunch late, go serve lunch to these widows. And then you jump forward to Acts 8, 4 through 8. Here we are, we see Philip again, verse 5. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaiming the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, right, declaration and demonstration, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was a great joy in the city. So Philip is serving like nagging widows, giving them food for lunch, and now he's preaching and performing signs and wonders. And like the, it says there's great joy in the city. And you go down then a little bit further. Acts 8, 26. And again, not for that. I don't want to read the entire thing. You can read the whole thing. It's awesome. Acts 8, 26 through 40. But you see Philip again. The angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road from Jerusalem to Gaza. And so he starts going and he finds this Ethiopian eunuch who's in this cart and he's reading the scroll of Isaiah. And so God told him, go near to that chariot and talk to Philip. And so he goes in and he asks him, do you understand what you're reading? He says, no, how can I? And he begins to tell him all about Jesus, the fact that Jesus died and rose again. And, and so this Ethiopian eunuch right here says, there's water right there. I need to get baptized because he just gets so filled with God and he accepts Jesus. And that's witness. Philip then goes from this city where there's great joy. I mean, you can imagine like just this beautiful time, jubilation. He's probably like, I just want to hang out here. But then God's like, go to the desert. That's a bummer, right? First you're serving nagging widows. Now you're like preaching and there's like all this great joy in the city. Like you're having a party and then God's like, oh yeah, go to the desert. So he goes, he's obedient. And when he goes to this desert, he sees Ethiopian guy, then just disciples him. 
So he's feeding the hungry, then he's evangelizing, and now he's just discipling. And then he gets to baptize this person and says the Holy Spirit just took him away. And I love Philip for so many reasons. But the reason why I love it for this is because, um, side note, you know how it says that I'm going to send you and you're going to be our witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Ethiopia. There's a church that was planted in Ethiopia, and in church history, they, they, they trace it back to this Ethiopian eunuch that Philip evangelized to. And pre-continental you know, mapping days, they called Ethiopia the ends of the earth. Philip, because of his obedience, because he just said, God, what are you up to? Stepped in, obeyed God when he called them out of a joyful city into the desert, got to see God's mission sent out in the same way he asked them, it's going to go to the ends of the earth. I mean, this is a beautiful, this is our story. This is our heritage. But what I love about this is what Philip did is he just said, God, what's in your heart? See, oftentimes we get in this mindset where we've kind of got into the Enneagram, we've got into Myers-Briggs, we've got into all these things of knowing ourselves, which I am all for. You have to know yourself in order to know God. You have to, because you're made in his image, if you want to know God, you must know yourself. And if you want to be a healthy person, you want to give yourself, you need to have a self to give. So I, I love the contemplative space so much. I love being fully self-aware. We need to be healthy, self-aware people. But that can turn into a self-obsession at times. And sometimes we, we come into this place and we say, well, this is my gift, this is my personality mix, this is who I am. So we miss out on opportunities for mission because we don't look outside of our gifting. And, and famously, you know, we ask ourselves, God is asking us, what's in your hand? You know, when you think back to the story of Moses and God asked him, what's in your hand? He had a staff. And he used that to do miraculous things. And I think it's a beautiful question. What's in your hand? But if you look at that story and if you look at the story of Philip, the greater question was what was God up to? Not what's in your hand, what's on God's heart? When you walk into a space, you don't want to walk in and just say, well, I'm an introvert, so I can't talk to that person. God might say, actually, right now, what's in my heart is to evangelize this person, and he's going to send you. I don't know if Philip was necessarily wanting to serve nagging widows, but he was obedient, and God used him. And then he was obedient again, and God used him. And then he was obedient again, and God used him. See, this is empowered witness, is that we don't just simply ask, what's in my hand? We say, God, what's in your heart? When we walk into a space, God, what are you up to right here and right now, and how do I engage in mission? what you have for this place. See, I wonder what our places of work would look like if we walked in with that mindset, with God ever before us, because we love him, we're in that relational um, dynamic with the Holy Spirit, we're empowered, and we're asking that question, what's on your heart? I wonder what our families would, would look like if we were asking God, what do you want to do in my family tonight as I go home? I wonder what our neighborhoods would look like when we did, I wonder what schools would look like. I wonder, I mean, think about any sphere you walk into. What would the rooms look like if we walked in and we said, God, what are you up to right here? So just to conclude, I think just some practical things is I think we need to ask for more. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit. Ask for more of his presence. See, I love thinking about Moses. It said Moses talked to God face to face. But what ended up happening is Moses had the audacity to say, God, show me your glory. Like he asked for more. We have, the, we have the invitation by God to ask for more. He says in Luke 11, ask, seek, and knock. So let's just start by saying, God, I want more of your Holy Spirit. I think the next thing is we need to expect more. 
what would happen if we walked into our churches, if we walked into our church, if we walked into our places and we expected God to move? We would have different lenses. We would see things differently. We would see people differently because we expect God to move. So expectation would change our heart posture. I think number three, we need to risk more. So the reality is, John Wimber says, faith is spelled R-A-S-K. We have to risk. If you walk into a room and you feel like you need to encourage someone, that's a risk. You might face rejection. You might get it wrong. You might ask for healing, and healing doesn't happen. But you know what? If you don't ask for healing, healing won't happen. If you don't go to encourage a person, encouragement won't happen. See, if we don't risk, we don't see. We don't engage what God is up to. And then the last thing is just pray more. I think we just need to commune with God. We need to listen to him, and when we walk into a space, we need to pray and say, God, what are you up to? And so that's how we become an empowered, witnessing church. Light Church, I'd love to pray. So God, I just ask for anyone watching this that you would fill us fresh and new with your presence. God, I ask that this message wouldn't just be something where we say, man, that was really cool that Jesus did that. It was really cool that the apostles did that. But this would be activating and put a stoke in our hearts that we can walk and live out your kingdom wherever, whenever, to whoever. God, would you send us, fill us. And God, give us courage and boldness to risk. And God, I pray that we get to see your kingdom come and your will be done through our lives as it is in heaven. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us here at the Light San Diego podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. For more information, please visit our website, lightsandiego.com.